to We Can Do It! I am so excited today, y'all. I have one of my favorite people in the whole wide world here with me today. It's Aww. my dear friend, Jamie Foley. Hi! So you, good to be on the podcast. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you for being here. Of like, course. I'm so excited. And so you are a writer, mother, friend phenomenal person uh you write primarily young adult fiction Mm -hmm. um yeah it's for adults too you know Mm -hmm. but I keep it clean yeah I'm also a graphic artist typesetter and business owner aka just general all-around bad (laughs) basically I do way too too many things that's insane like like when I think about trying to do even one of the jobs that you do (laughs) It may, like, I just... Well, I can't do what can't you do either, so... <laughs> um, so we're going to talk. I'm so excited about it because we're going to talk a little bit about the world of creativity and, and what what opening those doors looks like and what kind of exploring the different worlds that you build look like and what that process is and uh, kind of a little less of the nuts and bolts and maybe a little more of the pixie dust hey, yeah. side of it. Maybe? I'm all about that. Okay. Um, so let's start with, uh, what does building a world start with? What does it start with? Um, you might not like that I'm going to say this. <laughs> well, you probably won't care, but it starts with the religion. Because okay, yeah. it starts with the God the myth. or the gods who, who created everything. Yeah. And a lot of times there's the question of why did they create it? Yeah. And you can derive from that what they created and how you know are things broken or is it a utopia or is it a dystopia and the questions for what does the land look like how big is the planet what type of planet it is what are the lands in that planet all of it comes back to what is the creator like and why did he do it Mm -hmm. you know and a lot of times in that there's the first people and you know how did they screw everything up or (laughs) is everything perfect or is you know it really depends on what genre you do but since i'm right fantasy i'll stick with that oh i agree with that entirely world myth especially in any type of fantasy book world myth is everything yeah because it shapes everything that comes out of it it shapes the the way that your characters see everything around them and a lot of times it'll shape kind of even the political landscape oh yeah well it it definitely does and a lot of times in fantasy especially epic fantasy mm-hmm. the point that the of the whole thing is that the characters or the uh, protagonist is trying to save the world which yeah. a lot of times that can involve the gods mm-hmm. or fate or whatever it is yeah. you know then world building is something world. world building and kind of i think more than anything continent building is something i've noticed in your book specifically is very rich and very Thank involved <laughs> is uh, not just necessarily planet building but what I've noticed from your stories more than anything else is that continent build and yeah. like that like building of the shaping of the different sections of the world, I guess. Well, unfortunately, that is another thing I do is cartography. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I design maps for other authors mm-hmm. and the publisher that I work for occasionally there'll be an author that just comes up and is like, here's my book. And it's like a really great book in there that it looks like they drew their map like in microsoft word or like their six-year-old kid did it for them and that has actually happened one time i'm not kidding and so i'm like 
How about so that all of my typesetting and my interior design for your book isn't ruined by your awful map? How about you pay me a little bit and I'll make a map for you? How about I make you a map? Yes. You can definitely tell that influence in your books. Like you can definitely tell that that build, that kind of continent build is very strong. Thank you. Yeah. Diversity is like really important to me and not in an SJW way, but just because I love the rich mingling of different cultures mm-hmm. and like why are why is this culture this way like what natural resources do they have available in their land you know do they yeah. have storms that affect their culture you know just whatever it, it, that's where a lot of the beauty comes from to me and people say that in my my books a lot the world building is mm-hmm. is a big deal so, oh yeah yeah so kind of going with that beginning of a story um how do you find the courage to tell your story through the stories that you create do you and I know the answer to this, but uh, you do. <laughs> do you insert yourself into your own books? Never intentionally. <laughs> it comes through. Um, it comes through, no matter how much anybody tries not to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did it accidentally in my current series. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so my book that just came out um, in March 2020, the ill-fated year, it, it launched like three days before the pandemic started. Mm-hmm. It's called Emberhawk. Yes, okay. <laughs> yeah. And um, I thought it was going to be a standalone. Yeah. And so I put a character in there that was just like, just for fun. It was like a really mm-hmm. kind of not important character for a standalone. But then it ended up being a trilogy. <laughs> and that character became important. And that character is very similar to me. And I was like, crap. <laughs> <laughs> There's you. <laughs> but I, I ended up like fleshing her out a little bit more. And she definitely has my same personality. Mm-hmm. But. I mean, she's in a completely different world and a yeah. different situation. So hopefully nobody will notice unless they know me really well. <laughs> but uh, yeah. That's fantastic. So kind of in that same vein, where does your inspiration come from? A lot of different places, mm-hmm. honestly. Um, I don't like to take from other media very often unless it's in the same mm, genre. That makes a lot of sense. You know, because if you find something that's really cool in one book, it means it's already been done. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> like I, I, I try to avoid cliches like the plague. Mm-hmm. There are some tropes in YA that are important because it's not YA unless it has this certain feel or this certain trope to oh, it. Oh, yeah. So I feel... So I'll pick the ones that I want that I feel are the least used, you know? Absolutely. But for the most part my number one goal is is a unique story because the reason that people are reading why fantasy is because of the escapism yeah and so if you give them something that's beautiful and new to get drawn into they can become obsessed and it can really help them get through whatever they're going through whether it's coronavirus or some teenage depression or whatever you know that's that's what i'm there for i think sometimes for me especially when i was a kid reading uh was such a such an escape and more than anything i just there's something about this idea of borrowing a different world for a bit yeah you know yeah yeah I don't I don't think I actually answered your question though (laughs) you're fine (laughs) um honestly it it normally does come from just random things that excite me you know like experiencing something it could be in the real world it could be in any sort of media Mm -hmm. and I take a lot of inspiration from nature I know Mm -hmm. that's a total wishy-washy answer (laughs) but like the the redwoods in California Mm -hmm. are just some of the most amazing things that I've ever seen. Yeah. And in Emberhawk, I have a treetop city yeah. that's based on Kashyyyk from Star Wars. And it's also the Redwoods, you know, yeah. and it's also just the fact that I love trees, mm-hmm. you know, so it could come from anywhere. And I know that's not a very helpful answer, but no, it is what that. it is. <laughs> like 
the whole point is what what brings that magic to you you know yeah i think that's fantastic so in that idea of inspiration i mean we've all had that moment where we're like i'm gonna write a book and then i'm gonna write five books and then i'm gonna finish them all you know but, but what's and then you know like for me like i i'll start to write something and then just be like i never want to write again yeah like 20 minutes later yeah exactly like, normally it's not very far after yeah. you finish writing so, the first chapter where's that balance between inspiration and discipline and this has been always been messy for me because when i try to be disciplined and force myself to write it never feels good it never has that same spark that the inspiration does so how do you balance that well that is a master level question that (laughs) most professional authors still struggle with yeah maintaining that balance and I've struggled greatly with that especially in 2020 when the amount of stress kind of cripples people's creativity a little bit I know it's not just me um but you need to remember where your inspiration came from and what excited you in the first place um since I'm a professional writer and I I that's that's my calling that's what I do I do have to force myself to write on some days because it's also my job (laughs) um so that's just the way it is and I hate it that 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 is the way it is sometimes but honestly it could be 50 50 I sit down and I don't want to write. But a lot of times what helps me do that is something that Ted Decker taught me. I know we were just talking about something else Ted Decker taught me <laughs> over our dinner beforehand. But um, he said, never stop writing at the end of a chapter. Oh. You, you start writing and you get halfway through that chapter or halfway through the next chapter and you stop there i love that because then you don't have that stopping point exactly. to say well it's it, it you don't have that closure of the chapter yes, exactly and so oh, then that's you, brilliant yeah so like i i joke about my with my it husband about having open processes in my head like windows on your computer <laughs> yeah that you don't that you haven't closed and so they're like always there kind of annoying you that's how my brain works <laughs> yeah so if i don't finish a chapter the process is still open and I'm constantly thinking about wanting to get back to it it. yeah so that's one thing that helps me and if I have just completely lost my passion for that section or whatever I have to write I will go back and read like the previous chapter Mm -hmm. or whatever and it it draws you it draws me back in I like that a lot yeah that's a that's a really yeah that makes a lot of sense I love that like I love the idea of not letting yourself put a pin in it you know like yeah that's really good I wish I could have um (laughs) heard that uh years ago yeah (laughs) where was Ted when you needed it (laughs) come on Ted (laughs) come on Ted show up right (laughs) so um what in 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 that process of kind of creation you know after you've got your world you've got your myth you've got your this what is creating a and shaping a fully formed real character entail for you does that mean like how intense do you get in backstory like how intense do you know all of their the scar on their baby toe kind of thing like like what's how deep do you go it depends on how important the character is to the story, mm-hmm. honestly. But if they're not very important, I at least pick like a quirk for them. Great. Like this dude has a missing tooth or yeah. this girl has a weird colored hair or this person has an accent or something like that so that you can just, they're unique in their own five seconds that they're there. Yeah. But the most important, well, there's two <laughs> most important uh, points for me making characters and I've written about this on my blog and jamiefoley.com if anybody wants to read how to you know all my full formula for making characters yeah but um 
first of all, they are not humans. And if people, and that's a huge, yeah, that's a huge mistake that a lot of authors make is that they see somebody who they think is cool in their real life, or they think their selves are really cool, and they Mm -hmm. try to put a human into a story. Well, characters are not humans, and humans are 4D, characters are 2D. And so if, so like I have a different mood on every, every day. Yeah. So like I wake up some days and I'm really happy and I act happy and that affects all the way that I act the entire day. Yeah. The next, you know, day something bad happens to me and I wake up and I am, I wake up on the wrong side of the bed and I act like a totally different person. If a character does that in a story, it reads inconsistently and people think that it's <laughs> that there's something wrong with the character this is a bipolar character right exactly <laughs> exactly what do you mean she threw the mop <laughs> exactly so of course characters have... i would read so bad on paper <laughs> <laughs> i would too girl like, she's a monster <laughs> <laughs> well, well it's true that, that characters have arcs so they change gradually over time and you have to but see it has the to be reasons. measurable right yes it has to be measurable and you have to observe the reasons of why they're changing in that direction yeah so the the second most important thing is well i mean obviously the most important part of that first one is never try to put yourself in a story <laughs> like i said i did that accidentally and then i had to change her up and make her unique <laughs> but um the second big thing is that you need to give your characters all a a flaw yeah or multiple flaws mm-hmm. um we all have bents towards so i'm a christian so i believe in mm-hmm. sin i believe in right and wrong and i believe that everybody has a bent toward one or if you're like me several things mm-hmm. yeah to, you know some people it's difficult for them not to lie some people really like stealing things sure <laughs> you know there's all kinds of different things and so give something like that to your character and then you'll avoid the uh the the elsie dinsmore trope yes oh my gosh they they call they're called mary sues um, oh yeah think, the mary sues yeah. yeah and i think superman is a mary sue and i'm gonna get so much hate for saying this <laughs> but but he doesn't really have any flaws and to say he has one flaw that he's weak against kryptonite is just a confident what but that's a cop-out and because he doesn't have any personality flaws yeah so he doesn't feel real he there's feels a, more like jesus because there's a he's big perfect. difference between an achilles heel and a pathological liar. <laughs> right, right. So I'm not, so you can enjoy Superman if you want, that's fine. But when you read my books, like everybody is going to feel more real somehow. And mm-hmm. it's because they have a struggle, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So in a way, it's like humanizing without making them a human, without making them. Yeah, it's a delicate balance. Kind of the chaotic <laughs> creatures that we are. Yeah. But it still gives them a touch of reality, that touch of yeah, you know, gritty, like you got absolutely <laughs> well yeah and a lot of times that makes people more attractive to yeah uh characters specifically especially yeah, you male see characters. yourself in it you know like you see yeah. or you see something that you want in it mm-hmm. i like that a lot well girls especially will like male characters more who have a Another distinct man flaw. with a troubled past right because then they always think oh i can fix him yeah that's, that's exactly right <laughs> but that's getting a little too deep <laughs> but it's not wrong right <laughs> So to take it back to like something that I'm very interested in in the world of creativity and I'm like I'm a little fiery in this kind of area of the world of creativity um how important is a sounding board slash accountability in creativity for you um well a sounding board is very different than creativity for, or sounding board is very different than accountability yeah for me two Sorry. different things 
Um, so accountability, I don't have accountability except for my fans. Mm-hmm. So basically my biggest accountability is Amazon or is my, my next release date. So when I put it up on Amazon or I put it up for my fans and they pre-order it, I have promised mm-hmm. that I will give them that book that on book. that date and they have already paid me to do so, Yeah, which means I have to get it out. So I don't need, no, no, other people might need more. Yeah. I'm. I, you know, other people might need more accountability. Me, I'm just, I'm very independent and very introverted about that kind of stuff. And I'm driven enough to, to do it myself as long as I know that the fans are excited and they want yeah. this to come out. And if I ever forget that, I can go read the reviews yeah. on book one, <laughs> you know, and then remember, oh, they're excited for book two. Um, so accountability isn't really a thing for me, but um, darn it, what was the first one that you asked? <laughs> Yeah, Sorry. so a sounding board. I blame your creative. It's fine. It's all your fault. <laughs> um, okay, a sounding board is hugely important to me, and normally I have mm-hmm. several. So my muse is my husband. He's a very Aww. manly muse. <laughs> Sorry, that's really cute. He, I don't know what it is, but a lot of times I get so into my own stories or into my own world that I can't see the forest through the trees. Yeah. And I will just be like, I have this problem. You know, I have a plot hole. Like, why? I need this character to do X, but I don't know why they would do it. And I can't get them to do it. There's no reason for them to do You know, there's no reason to do it. Yeah. But like, I had planned it maybe a year ago and I forgot why. Yeah. You know, and so then I'll come up to my husband and I'm like, babe. I'm so I'm I'm so stressed out about this and I would have just you know been thinking about it for like two weeks and agonizing over it and he's like oh well obviously it's because of this and I'm just like what and he does that to me all the time that's beautiful so I literally couldn't do it without him and then beyond him I have a lot of different uh friends who are authors as well um and they help me a lot and I also have several different editors so depending on who I've got working on which project um I can sometimes reach out to them if it's a more serious thing. Like if I think one of my characters is becoming unlikable, like that's a huge problem. <laughs> that's a really big problem. Yeah. And so I need multiple, you know, uh, influences to mm-hmm. give me their opinion on that. And a lot of times if multiple people are telling you the same thing, yeah. you need to listen. Yeah. I love that because yeah. I think let's just, we'll take a moment and inject this into life, even outside of creativity. <laughs> Honey, if multiple people are telling you that you have something seriously wrong, maybe believe them. If multiple people tell you that's a bad dude, maybe don't date him. I was going to say, it's always these girls who were like, but I love him. And like everyone in her life is like, he's trash. Dump him and leave him on the side of the road. And she's like, but I love. And then she like marries him and has a kid with him. And then two years later, he dumps her. And everyone is like, we have zero pity for you because we told you. This is such a bunny trail, but this is what I call the little mermaid concept. Oh, So it's like, it's the Ariel thing. So like Sebastian, leave him, Ariel. You know, her father like, no. Her sister's like, no. Like every single person in Ariel's life is like, don't do this. And she's like, but daddy, I love him. You know, and she ends up like literally throwing away her right to being a princess her ability to be a mermaid she like sells her soul basically almost loses her entire voice for this dude she met twice (laughs) right you know what honestly and this is a totally different scenario but i think the little mermaid is an absolutely toxic movie oh it is it's really terrible i loved it growing up and i still have a soft spot in my heart but if you think about it she like sells her soul to a witch for a boy yeah, uh, that and, she like, met once. her family against their wishes. Like, yeah. it's bad. That she met once. <laughs> yes. Against, like, the advice of every single person in her life. It's putting them bad. all, her actual home, at risk. Like, <laughs> just a nightmare. It's a nightmare concept. 
And the actual bad. Hans Christian Andersen, like, fairy it's tale, she becomes sea foam. Oh. <laughs> or something terrible like that. It's absolutely reprehensible. Like, it's well. just awful. Anyway, that is such a, a rabbit trail, but I, I think that's that fun though. <laughs> sounding boards are important. That's Let's just we'll, we'll just do. just title this episode "Hating on Superman and and Little Mermaid," yeah. destroying and, everyone's childhoods. And kind of the now that we've um, uh, explained our prejudices towards Disney films <laughs> and superheroes. Well, of course, I have I love Disney. But I, well, yeah. I mean, know. Beauty and the Beast. Like they say that, like and Tangled. Oh, yeah. I mean, I love them. Yeah, I mean, like Bell. Bell was like as much as I like have a conscious awareness that it's like textbook, textbook Stockholm like Syndrome. Stockholm Syndrome. Yeah, <laughs> I have that full awareness. Like Beauty and the Beast. I love it. Though. Still I love anyway, it anyway. Like, oh, yeah, I totally yeah, love like, it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, but kind of building in that vein, in the vein of like having a soundboard and having that like accountability. Um, I want to go with the idea of just because you can do it, should you? And what ethics and world building should be like. Kind of like the, yes, this might be historically accurate, but do we really need another book about women being victimized in a fantasy world? Or if you can build any world, shouldn't you build a better one? Don't you have the, res- do you have the responsibility to build a better world if you can? Mm, um, we're probably going to disagree on this one. Ooh, good. Uh, well, first of all, just in general, because I feel passionately about this, um, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should absolutely yeah. not ever because you will overload yourself mm. and also if you haven't done something before you probably suck at it yeah like there's so many people out there who were like i can design my own book cover and i'm like no you can't like That's just how because you get the, the one-armed sister wife from wisconsin <laughs> right, right. book or i don't i don't need to edit my book because i write so well no you don't no oh, honey you need an editor <laughs> you need a professional cover designer and i'm sorry but your nephew who like was really good in art class and i'm sorry but it's not 99% of the time it's not a good idea and no you are not the 1%. Like <laughs> sorry, I just feel strongly about that. I'm and an also, American Idol. <laughs> I know. Well, I'm I'm a hypocrite too because I as a graphic artist, there's so many different ways that you can use graphic art and I've already like um confessed to having to doing way too many things in my life. <laughs> and part of it is because I'm a totally sporadic creative. Mm-hmm. Um but so I'm always constantly trying to learn that because there's always a new shiny and I'm always like, yeah, I could do that. But um, I'm also trying to learn the word no and yeah. everybody should too. Oh, that's a tough one yeah. in general. But you're so right. Like learning, learning no is so important. And at some point I'm going to do a whole podcast episode about because, you know, the podcast is called We Can Do It. And the, mm-hmm. the episode will be called We Can Do It, But Should We? Right. And, and, yeah. and I'll get into that later. But I'm kind of talking about like, OK, so my specific like my nitpick or not not nitpick my example of this would be like uh george rr R. martin's game of thrones yeah there are 168 acts of violence against women in those books wow so i watched the uh series yeah but i didn't read the books because yeah. and my husband couldn't finish reading the first one either yeah so because of the acts of violence towards women yeah so for a basic level like the arguments that i hear when i talk to people about like why is this part of our entertainment um everybody's like well it's historically accurate like do you know what happened to people like do you know what happened to women during the middle ages do you know yeah yeah i'm fully aware 
I'm I'm aware of what happened to uh, women now. I'm fully aware of what we're dealing with. It's a fantasy world. There's dragons and magic and whatever. Do you still need to be raping women? Do you still need to be uh, brutalizing children? Like, do you still need to be doing that? In a fantasy world for entertainment, especially this is my nitpick, and I'm like, I'm oh, I'm getting my voice is raising, I'm getting passionate. It's okay, <laughs> but but like specifically, like specifically when you're building a fantasy entertainment fiction, I'm not talking about telling a survivor story. I'm not talking, especially even if somebody is writing like loosely based fiction, you know, or something like that yeah. off their life. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm more talking about like this is a magical world with fairies and ghosts and goblins and vampires and dragons and. Do we do we still need like if you could build any world, couldn't you build a better one? Well, my personal answer um is no, I'm not gonna write gratuitous evil in any of my books. Yeah. Because I I just don't find it necessary. Yeah. Now, if there's an act of violence or an assault um toward a woman that is required for the story Mm -hmm. that's your choice as an author and you need to consider your target audience if there are children in your audience if you're writing young adult Mm -hmm. a lot of that stuff can impact them to a greater degree Mm -hmm. and a lot of times people are reading different subgenres for different reasons so for me personally no i don't write that stuff i like to keep my books clean but it seems like it's gratuitous evil in any different form yeah um, thank you see i'm not talking about like because like like, i've had a lot of different books and movies and things that i've read that have actually addressed these things in very tasteful healthy powering beautiful ways but there's a difference to me between hard things still happen in a fantasy world tough you know your characters still are it's not going to be fairy dust and roses all the time like there's a difference between shaping and building and growing a character and then there's a difference between just gratuitous horrific acts of violence i i agree with you um and like personally if something is not required for the furtherment of the story mm-hmm. um i don't know if furtherment is a word but i just made it up i'll call We're my using editor. it now i call my editor <laughs> um but if it if there's no point in it then it's gratuitous yeah and personally i don't like to write that and i don't like to read that mm-hmm. but it depends on who you're catering to like the walking true. the walking dead yeah has gratuitous violence and gore out the wazoo and yeah it's, and it's a very very well done series well not well done i couldn't <laughs> it made me <laughs> depressed so i had to stop watching after the second season but i mean there's a lot of people who really love that and I don't know what it does for them, but it's a release for them. But that's a dystopian. Mm-hmm. So what you're talking about is you think that people should be writing utopian for fantasy. And mm. normally... I guess that's true. That's true. But for urban fantasy, it's normally dystopian, which means it's a broken world. Yeah. So Game of Thrones is most known, I think, for a lot of the pornography and a lot of the rape and stuff like that. And I the version that I watched was actually censored (laughs) until like the last series and the the last season. And we were just too enthralled that we just wanted to watch it as soon as it came out and not wait for the edited version. But, um, I mean it, but some people that's why they watched it was for the shock value. So I I can't say problem with that. Like maybe it's just me morally or something like that. I don't know. I guess I just, well, I feel like morally as creatives, like, don't we have this, responsibility to create something better 
Only if you are called to a certain moral code, which... I guess that's true. You know, you, me, we and, can't, me and you probably are. We but, can't enslave the world to our moral right. code. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. Right. Well, you're you're asking a marketer, like, yeah, you know, true. and so I'm always making exceptions and thinking about different scenarios. So personally, we're on the same page, but I understand why some people would delve into some nasty stuff if there's some nasty people who want to do that nasty stuff. And I'm unfortunately, sometimes I'm one of those nasty people. (laughs) I I I feel like you're absolutely right. And and I think as much as like, I have that line where I'm like, no, I want this to change. Like the truth is, is like, you get very, you have, you flirt very dangerously with that line of censorship and with that line of like Mm -hmm. losing freedom of creativity and well, I think that and all that. I think that there's a lot of other dangerous ways that I mean, you could have. This is going to sound dumb, but you might understand what I mean. Like, if there's gratuitous butterflies mm-hmm. in a in a in a young adult romance novel, and yeah. they focus so much on the feelings of <laughs> Piper's getting some water. My dog. That that sound, the sound <laughs> of slurping, is my dog who could not wait till the podcast was over to have a drink of water. <laughs> Well, they, I mean, you can also do damage by, like, focusing so much on the feelings mm-hmm. and everything about the romance. And then you get these teenage girls who read about this sort of thing so much. And then they get in a real relationship. Mm-hmm. And they get married or they are in a long-term relationship. And the butterflies go away after, yeah. like, a year or two years or three years. And then they get divorced because they think it's all about butterflies. Yeah. You know what I mean? So there's a lot of different ways you can lead people astray. And we do have a big responsibility as authors. Yeah. And as creators. Um, but uh, you know, I guess it, it, you either yeah. like subscribe to that or not. <laughs> you can't yeah. control the people who don't. Yeah, and it's a lot about your audience too. So it's yeah. a very finicky sort of tricky situation. True. Yeah, nah, I stand down. <laughs> <laughs> so kind of going into that idea of like the the different butterflies and things like that, and that that, that idea of responsibility, and you know, just the idea of like when you're shaping this, you're shaping these stories and you're shaping these things. I feel like being a writer is one of those things that's very elevated as a kid. Like it's this idea of like, I want to write stories, you know? And yeah. Stuff like that. So what would you tell young creatives? Um, that it is hard work. Yeah. But that it's worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would also um, differentiate for them. Um, you can be a hobby writer and never mm-hmm. publish anything and that's okay. And that's yeah. good. Because there was this weird stigma yeah. about writing or like, like with writing, like, so you, so you write like a short story mm-hmm. and then people are immediately like, oh, cool. Are you going to get published? Are you going to get it? Pub- are you going to get it in a magazine? Or like, if you write a little book, they're like, cool. Well, are you going to indie publish it or whatever? That's like if a, if a kid with a guitar comes in and plays you a little song and you go, hey, cool. When's your next concert? Like, it's so dumb. <laughs> and a lot of times, so true. like, if people have never practiced writing, if they don't know the craft of writing, like, if you are doing a painting, you're going to expect your first painting to look like a finger painting because you've never done it before. Yeah. You don't know the craft. You don't understand the rules of design. So it amazes me and honestly makes me mad how people can sit down and write something and think that it's the best thing ever and it needs to be published. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, just because you wrote it doesn't mean it's worth people mm-hmm. paying you money for it because you're not a professional. And if you tried to do anything else professionally for the first time, you wouldn't be asking for huge amounts of money for it. Yeah, exactly. You know? So, so good. So for young people, I would be like, look, decide if you want to do this for a living or not. And you've heard the term starving artist, so I wouldn't really recommend it (laughs) unless you have like a backup or something Mm -hmm. and you know how to do like a life trade skill that's going to like get you through life. 
but um hobby writing is awesome and please like if you feel called to write then do it and don't feel pressured to put it out there because unless you pay a lot of money for editors and training and you go to conferences and you learn the craft of writing it's probably not going to be worth asking people to pay you money for yeah (laughs) yeah i mean this is like one of those things you know for me um i love to paint i have done a, de- a decent not just you know i was a painter professionally for a long time i've seen some of your art i i love to to paint like with oil and with acrylic and do actual paintings i have never sold it will never sell it i have no plans on ever ever selling anything that i've ever touched but will you sell me your picnic table no i'll make you one though <laughs> okay i'll pay you <laughs> like, i'll make you one but uh, for me art is sacred that expression of myself in painting is a piece of my thought a piece of my heart a piece of my soul that I pour into that to explain something about the world in a better way to myself and I chose that a long time ago to be an expression of my creativity not something that I was going to market not something that I ever intended on selling and so its value to me is intrinsic to me Mm-hmm. not because somebody looked at it and said this is worth 20 bucks mm-hmm. and I think that too much of the time writers who maybe have this deep beautiful passion that could have been this intrinsic piece of them that they had mm-hmm. lose that spark and passion because they don't necessarily actually have a marketable thing right and maybe then, if they had left it as a piece of their soul they could still love and enjoy right. it and then like you know I mentioned you know that your first like little painting might have been like a finger like a it was truly terrible no i'm not talking about yours specifically but like i can confirm it is (laughs) but but is a kindergartner's first painting is that precious to them is it precious to their mother absolutely yeah that doesn't mean it doesn't have any value because it's not marketable yeah just because you can't sell something doesn't mean that it's not special thank you oh that's beautiful see and that's the whole thing with creativity is like you created it you made it you brought it into this world mm-hmm. treasure it yeah. that doesn't mean sell it all the time and, right. and maybe this is something you'll pursue for a long-term thing maybe you do want to get better and go to conference and pay them and learn the, you know learn right. the education of it if you're dumb like me well <laughs> talented skilled and persistent Oh, maybe well, better oh, words well i shouldn't i, I, just <laughs> I can't i'm not gonna fight with you over that kind of stuff on air <laughs> we're gonna start something y'all don't know but she will beat me over the head until i submit so i'm just not gonna go down that road and i'll make you say two nice things <laughs> oh no, no. <laughs> so uh on another kind of aspect of this how did you find your voice in writing hmm practice Mm-hmm. lots and lots of practice um do you mean like my writing voice like my style yeah okay yeah yeah it was a lot of practice and a lot mm-hmm. of times different characters have different voices mm-hmm. so different perspectives will come out differently and a lot of times that depends on how well developed your characters are mm-hmm. which is why i emphasize that um world building first and then build your characters really mm-hmm. deep um know their personality types mm-hmm. um i i know my myers-briggs yeah. and a lot of people like humans mm-hmm. but that's more about i think the internal processes yeah, of people. yeah, yeah, yeah. so i go by the disc method which is like i like that the ancient greek temperaments um mm-hmm. choleric melancholy uh sanguine phlegmatic um which is also known like sometimes they had to they take animal forms uh, uh it's like uh 
golden retriever mm-hmm. otter yes yeah 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 otter beaver and lion mm-hmm. um and so i'm the lion type which is why i'm so focused on all this stuff and i'm so <laughs> have all my opinions so well formed and i'm so driven and i've never and done just, that one i don't I just know what kind of myself into the ground <laughs> um you definitely have some lion in you mm-hmm. I, th- I think that you were a lion otter Ooh. so that would be a cleric sanguine in the greek temperaments mm. but anyway so those those kind of systems um well it's all the same thing it just has different names yeah yeah. um they uh speak more to how a character or a person functions outwardly mm-hmm. and so i always know the uh the disc personalities or the animal types of all of my characters Ooh, i so, like that yeah and so well not all of my characters but like all the important characters. The main ones. <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah like second like mm-hmm. like primary and secondary characters tertiary characters they're more just about quirks and stuff. Judy, who sweeps the hall, is right. <laughs> no, no, not, not quite, not quite. So, um, my own like narrator voice, like you learn as you compact your own writing. You learn how to self-edit. You learn um, what's important to you. So for me, visual imagery is very important in my books because mm-hmm. I like to be able to have, like, I call it like a short distance and a long distance image of what's going on so like for example i'm sitting in this room with you right now and there's a beautiful map on the wall Mm -hmm. and i know what color the walls are and there's you know wine behind you and it has a really homey feel and then in the background i know that it's dusk Mm -hmm. and i know that there's a beautiful sunset yeah and so those two things together paint a really beautiful picture and so that's very important for me in my writing is to very concisely portray that image to the reader because when I am reading something I get frustrated if I can't see the scene mm-hmm. you know what I mean so um I know I have a lot of friends who are much more focused on the feeling yeah of it, you know and I try to I try to do a little bit of both mm-hmm. but um sometimes you don't care what the setting looks like because the feeling is so intense mm-hmm. of that of that one you know scene or whatever is happening so as you begin to write and as you solidify your characters your voice will come and it'll be natural and then you just need an editor to to correct all of your (laughs) make it all work (laughs) yeah i love that description because i think that's something i wouldn't be able to put together because i just don't think like that but when i think about my favorite writers or my favorite books they are very that way like Mm -hmm. uh, you know mary stewart who is an english writer i think in the 70s or something like that she was so, it's so almost exhaustively visual yeah in the first chapter or two of the book and it, people will even skip those chapters because the visual is so whatever but or it's so extreme but yeah. by the end you know you're running through the cornfield with the bird overhead you know or the character is i right. should say and you're in that field because you know what it looks like and you know what it smells like and you know where the bird is and you know what the, you know, because she did so much groundwork yeah. to lay the visual of the world that it, you're, it's so deeply immersive because you know what it looks like. Yeah. Like personally, that drives me crazy to read Yeah, because it's <laughs> like, I cannot re- sit there and read two pages of what we call purple prose, mm-hmm. which is just something that sounds just really flowery and blah, 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 <laughs> And I'm like, oh my gosh, where's the action? Yeah. So I do really enjoy that visual stuff, but I try to do it in a compact manner or mm-hmm. have the characters interact with the setting in a way that seems normal and natural and you don't realize that you're even being given the world building yeah. in that scene. That's so, the real skill. Yeah. So especially a lot of 
authors like 20 30 something years ago you know they would do that they would sit there and yeah. be like here for two pages i'm going to tell you what the setting looks like exactly you know and that that's not what i'm about <laughs> well but, and mary stewart could get by with it because she was you know well if you're a classic master then you can do whatever you yeah, want you do what you want but yeah in reality like people still skip those chapters <laughs> oh yeah absolutely well there's also info dumping that's a similar yes. concept where they sit there and tell you about the magic system and the history of i hate that Dark oh. Uncle the second for you know for five chapters oh my that gosh. ya book where it's like beth ann stood in the room she looked at her hands covered in a blue purple fire <laughs> That blue purple fire was given to her by the god Mephistos, who had like, you're like, you're not, it's like and Mephistos <laughs> had felt uh, like uh, oh god, yeah, <laughs> totally yeah. ruined it. Yeah. But like he had felt shunned by his father, and thus his magic came from a deep dark pit in his soul. Yes. And also, when Mephistos was five years old, he was a very naughty little god. And then you know, and it just yes. keeps going, and it keeps going, and you still don't know what she did with the freaking blue fire in her hand, and right. you don't even remember who Beth Ann is. And then, you, and then the chapter just ends and then it opens with some other dude and you're like where am i but i know <laughs> yes. everything about the history of this world but yes. i have no idea what's going on the original god was a potter <laughs> in a small oh fishing God. village so we call that the 90 percent and yeah. honestly that's my favorite stuff to come up with yeah. but it doesn't go into my books because no. it's the 90 percent of work that i do that is never seen yeah. it's only the 10 percent of that kind of stuff that actually makes it into the book however if you master what i'm talking about and i'm not saying that i'm a master by any means but this is what i strive for mm -hmm. that if you can weave it in yes. to your scenes and to the action and to the dialogue by the way that people interact with things mm -hmm. and the way that they talk like you can replace cuss words with things that have mm -hmm. to do with the environment or their history or whatever if you can weave that in without bashing your reader over the head yeah with, with that kind with of all stuff. the history of Beth yeah. Ann's God it'll be much more immersive and the reader won't know why but they'll love it yeah because I mean the truth is you do want to know where Beth Ann's blue fire came from like yeah. everyone genuinely wants to know like but you just don't want to do it for five pages before she gets to use well, the blue fire make it a treasure hunt make them earn it exactly make them turn the page exactly yeah <laughs> so we're gonna go into our fun question oh, for the no. night what I love the fun questions oh no what and this is one it? is fantasy trope based okay or not trope fantasy cliche oh no <laughs> if you had to choose between having a genie's lamp or having a pair of actual genuine seven league boots which would you choose well that's easy I would choose the seven league boots and for anybody who doesn't know seven league boots are boots that when you put them on and you take a step they take you seven leagues I personally agree 100% with you. I know you would. There are too many monkey paws in a genie lamp. <laughs> yeah. Which like 100%. Too many monkey paws well, in a genie lamp. Well, you have lamp. to be so darn specific or they'll ruin your life. Exactly. Like, like too much. No. Too many just chances. Make, well, and because I'm I'm a like a fantasy cartographer, like I love maps. So just yeah. map it out. Yeah. Know where you're going. Make sure you're not going to land in a volcano or, or in the middle lake. of the ocean. Yeah. Yeah, and then just make, you know, bring an extra pair of shoes to take off when you're Steadily ready to, boots. to set up camp. I remember the first time, everybody remembers their first, well, okay, every nerd remembers their first <laughs> fantasy book. Oh, yeah. And my first three were, a book was, I guess what, I can't even speak, uh, it was a book called The Ordinary Princess, mm -hmm. which to this day is such a meaningful, beautiful book to me. 
a book called Palindor that no one has ever heard of. I never heard of it. No one has. And then the book Two Princes of Bamar by Gail Carson Levine. And okay. I read that book every November. Hmm. And I have read it now every November for at least nigh on 20 years. Uh, I, I take it that you enjoy the book. I cry uh, through uh-huh. the entire month that I read the book. It's wow. deeply tragic. Uh, very, very sad, but very beautifully written. And very, it's just one of those books, like, but in the book, one of the characters has seven league boots. And oh. since I was, I want to say, 12 years old, I, I needed me some seven league boots. So. Yeah. yeah 100%. I would, I would, I would love, I would use the, the heck out of those. Oh, yeah. Well, Jamie, thank you so much for being here. You're welcome. I, I'm so grateful that you're on the podcast. I just, this is something that's just so near and dear to my heart as a creative. And I love just getting to explore this a little bit more with somebody who's really good at it and really part of that Aww, world. So thank, thank you, you so much. So for anybody who wants to find your stuff, pitch your stuff. Oh, okay. Well, um, where do we find you? Well, nobody wants to read it anymore now that they know all my dirty secrets. <laughs> <laughs> but um, y'all can find me at jamiefoley.com. Um, my first series is an urban fantasy. It, the first book is Sentinel. It's the mm-hmm. Sentinel Trilogy. And like I said, Ember Hawk. Um, Ember Hawk. A, whoop, whoop. Yeah, she's read it. She knows. Team by Leah. That came out in March, so um, the next. So it's not a complete series yet, um, but it will be. And I'm almost done writing book two. Woo! And so check that out at emberhawk.com. I'm on Amazon. All of those are available um, for paperback hardcover kindle um kindle unlimited and audiobook but what i really want to pitch because mm-hmm. i don't care about my own stuff is um my friends at fayette press Ooh, yeah so, yeah yeah which is your and press yes <laughs> your publishing <it's>, company <laughs> it is but it's not a real press so basically we're a marketing alliance of indie authors who that write you created yeah <laughs> <laughs> We only write um, clean fantasy and Mm -hmm. sci-fi, and we're committed to excellence. And so we're very exclusive. We only write author or invite authors who um, we feel write super excellent quality books, have Mm -hmm. excellent editing and excellent covers. So we're all indies, but that just means that we are able to control our creativity a little more, Mm -hmm. and um, we choose to be that way and my so. dear sister who is featured on this podcast is a member of Fayette Press that's right Her- shout out Angela Castillo <laughs> yeah Angela Castillo she writes uh middle grade fantasy and young adult uh, not young adult children's uh, fantasy like the her latest one was princesses don't have sticky hair and it's an adorable it's children's really thing with beautiful illustration dragon. yeah it's really <laughs> it's really cute so check us out at fayettepress.com if you're looking yeah, yeah. for some really unique awesome indie fantasy and sci-fi absolutely well y'all thanks so much for listening and if you enjoyed this be sure to go check out jamie and give us a subscribe a review a like a facebook something give me your questions (laughs) (laughs) and remember everybody we can do it by me, Rosie. It's produced by Cherie Haynes. Social media is managed by Vivian Ellison. If you enjoyed We Can Do It, please take a minute to subscribe and review. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, 
through Twitter. Thanks for listening and keep on riveting.